All right, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Rigo's Rag Podcast. Ian Cummings here with Jacob Kamiker. We are back. Uh, I think last time we potted up, it was after Dwayne Haskins' first start. Uh, Connor Forrest was on. So if you want to go check that out, you can. It's a little outdated now uh, with Haskins making his second start against the New York Jets on Sunday. So we'll talk a little little bit about that, but um, we won't go for long. We'll we'll get into more big-picture stuff after that, coaching candidates, rebuilding the team, because really uh, none of these games matter. Uh, It's really just about draft position the rest of the season. And uh, after that, the the golden question is how do they rebound from this? How do they move forward? You know, what's going to happen? Who's going to be let go? and who's going to steer the team in the right direction in the next era. So that stuff we'll get into. Uh, first off, Jacob, how are you doing today? It's It's been quite a while. Yeah, it's been, it's been a long time, but I, I'm good. I'm glad to be back on the pod and uh, talking about this uh, Redskins team that is a whole lot of not fun to watch. Um, I don't think that's actually how I should say that phrase, but... Uh, yeah, they're uh, they're pretty terrible to watch. So uh, we're we're trying to look towards the future and find some positives in what's been a rough season. Yeah, yeah, it's it's been rough. It's it's rough to write about it too. I mean, it's like eventually you just run out of things to say. Like, yep, they kind of sucked, but uh, that that's not what matters right now. We're just looking at the young guys progressing, and uh, we'll go from there. And yeah, it's it's rough, man. By the way, I wanted to bring this to your attention. Uh, I was. One, I was in. I was within one game of winning my Pick'em League this week, and I was on the fence about the Chicago LA game. And I had Chicago at first, and your pick reinforced that, so you contributed to my downfall. I just wanted you to know that. But um, <laughs> you you picked the wrong week to trust me because ahead of this Monday night game, I think I'm like four and nine, which is my worst week so far. So, dude, you I know, was, it happens. I was I was doing great. I, I got the Pittsburgh. Cleveland game wrong and then I won like the next 10 games just like straight like green 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 there it is and then I just yeah I I probably would have stuck with Chicago even if you said LA that you know I I thought I thought the mismatch was enough for Trubisky to at least keep it close like I I thought the Rams would win either way but yep you live and you learn uh the one thing that the Redskins make easy is the pickums uh I mean you, you never you never you never have any doubts. I mean, I know some people picked Washington this week. I know, I think you did, but I was like, nah. I mean, that that coaching. I mean, Adam Gase is bad, but he'll he can beat Bill Callahan in a head-to-head easily. Yeah, I did pick the Redskins this past week, and I instantly regretted it after seeing the first possession. <laughs> I thought I thought they'd be better off coming out of the bye, and I thought the Jets, after beating the Giants, would be a little disinterested. Turned out to be the opposite, but. You know, that game, that game's behind us now. We're only going to look at some of the positives. Most everything was negative, in my opinion. I liked how Geis and McLaurin played. And, you know, Haskins wasn't great, in my opinion, in that game. He did get a little bit better in the second half. Uh, but all in all, what I took away from this game is that he has a long way to go. And we kind of knew that. Like, John Kime's been trying to tell us that all year. And the Redskins coaches have they didn't really want to play Dwayne until we got to the point where they had nothing left to play for. So I think this kind of progression was to be expected, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the question I have, though, is like, I mean, he, he's clearly benefiting from the reps. Like, there's little things that he's improving. It's like, so why did they start him earlier if, if they knew he was going to benefit from the reps? I mean, he showed it in preseason, too. But that's not the subject here. I mean, we can talk about that all day. Uh, he 
he's it's going to be the subject week in and week out. But ultimately, if nothing's going to change, I guess the only thing that you could do is, well, leap to the end of the season and kind of get to that precipice where we're starting to make these decisions. Like, who do we go with as the coach? Are we centering around Dwayne Haskins or are we going to move on? Are we going to Rosen him? I know the Cardinals kind of set that precedent, but it's at the same time, it was kind of an anomaly. So I don't know, will the Redskins continue that or, or will they give Haskins more time to acclimate? A lot of questions, uh, big picture, how they're going to continue in the offseason. I guess uh, we were going to head it off by coaching candidates and go from there. Uh, that seems like a good place to start. But first off, Jacob, I mean, this is kind of like an intuition thing, kind of just you got a gut feeling. But do you think this will be the breaking point for Bruce Allen? I mean, I don't think, I don't think the Redskins have won one or two games. I don't think they've won that little ever. Like or at least since the seventies or whatever, I, I don't I'm I don't know the history there, but it's it's been a long time since they've been this bad. I think if there ever was going to be a breaking point for Bruce Allen, it would be this type of finish this season. Uh, but in the wake of the Jay Gruden firing, just how they treated Bruce Allen and just the fact that he didn't seem worried at all about his job security, still unfortunately leads me to believe that he will be in charge of the front office. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of Redskins fans are going to be hopeless about that. It's easy to understand why. But uh, unless if they do go winless the rest of the year, get the one pick and have only one win, maybe Dan Snyder will have a change of heart. But as it stands right now, I'm not sure that they would part with him. What, what do you think at this point? From a hopeful standpoint, I would like it to happen. But I, I don't see it happening either. I mean, Allen is Snyder's closest confidant. In this climate, he doesn't have many confidants. I mean... He's not a very public person to begin with, and if he were to go public, uh, there would be a lot of backlash, a lot of guys. I mean, heck, every time he goes and walks on the sideline <laughs> during a home game, someone's shouting, like, hey, sell the team, you know? Uh, so there's there's not a lot of motivation from Snyder, I think, to get rid of one of his closest confidants and Allen, uh, even though Allen is an absolutely terrible team manager uh, it, from a football operations perspective and, you know, kind of gets in the way of, all the progress made by head coaches and stuff, you know, so I, I don't think there's a lot of motivation there for that to happen. I would like it to happen. I think from a pure results standpoint, you kind of have to, you know, it's a results oriented business. And if he's not producing, it's time to go. And this is like the breaking point here. This is like your lowest point. This is the trough. Uh, they, they haven't been this bad. Uh, and I know it's a young team. They're growing, but at the same time, the, the execution on field is clearly like a tier below every team they come across. I mean, the Dol- they, the Dolphins had to try to lose to them. That's that's saying something. So it's like, it's it's I I would I would say he stays. Um, but even if he stays, you know, we can still talk about the head coaching process and uh, what the factors that would go into that decision. And uh, I know you wrote a really comprehensive article on coaching candidates uh, for the Redskins. You guys can still view that on the site. We're we're updating it periodically. Uh, some new names filtering into the Twitterverse here and there. But um, let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's start with the coaching search. That's the foundation for the next era and how they can set foot on the, on the right foot uh, for the coming years. So who would you who would you consider uh, for these coaching changes? Who, who's kind of your top guy? Who, but who do you think is realistic? Just kind of what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so obviously the first question becomes, do you want an offensive guy or do you want a defensive guy? And I don't know what the Redskins want at this point. Um, so we'll obviously take a look at both types of guys um, and uh, see exactly what they have. But it, the more I look at the Redskins coaching search, the more I kind of want a defensive guy 
someone who can be a little bit of a disciplinarian, but also just a motivator, someone who knows how to get the most out of their players, because that's something that they've lacked in the Jay Gruden era, and it's carried over to the Bill Callahan era. And I just don't think there's any accountability anymore, and everyone seems to have a lackadaisical attitude except these younger players and rookies and guys who are hungry for success. So I think they need a full-blown culture change. Um, I think they might be able to get that a little bit from a guy like Robert Sala. He's the 49ers defensive coordinator. Um, he turned their defense into a, a, one of the best in the NFL. And granted, they had some, uh, they had good personnel there. But over the course of the last three years, their ratings have improved every single year that Sala's been in charge. And just on the sidelines, he's always fired up. He's always trying to get the most out of his players. So I'm starting to like him more and more the more I look at the guys who are going to be out there. Uh, but a couple other guys who I really like, I like Eric Bieniemy from Kansas City. Anytime you get an Andy Reid uh, coach who knows his offense, that would be a guy I'd consider. He's also young and has upside. And then uh, a couple of college guys, Matt Rule has rebuilt Baylor. That's been, they've been great. They almost beat Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, who is another guy I think they should consider but probably won't be able to land unless they pay him an exorbitant amount of money. Uh, which they probably won't do. And then one dude who I will mention, this will be the last guy I mentioned for now before I let you talk, Marvin Lewis. I know a lot of people are going to cringe when they hear that name, but he was so good at managing dysfunction in Cincinnati because that franchise was a mess before he got there. He got them to the playoffs so frequently, and while they never won a game, he might be the kind of guy that can kind of get the Redskins at least back on the right track, manage that dysfunction, and just make them work a little bit more as a franchise because right now things are not working at all so he'd be a guy i would consider and just look where the Bengals are without him they're at zero and ten so uh clearly lewis had some impact on that team because while they're less talented than they were last year they still shouldn't be a zero win team yeah there's kind of a match there uh you know the redskins are a dysfunctional franchise lewis you know worked well with that in cincinnati it, looking at it from Lewis's perspective, I don't know why you'd want to waste more years with a dysfunctional franchise. I mean, if the farthest you're getting is probably the wild card round or divisional round, I mean, that's even if, you know, you're able to establish a culture. But, you know, I mean, you can say that for every coaching candidate. You know, what makes this, this place attractive? What, what makes this job attractive? And to me personally, you know, there are some bright spots. You know, the young talent on offense really shined on Sunday. You know, McLaurin and Geis and Kelvin Harmon had some good plays too. Um, and, you know, Dwayne Haskins, I do think he's showing growth from week to week. Uh, I think people need to be more a little, a little more patient with him, but I, I think the traits are definitely there. And this is coming from someone who's a little lower on him in the draft process, but his his flashes of arm talent have really surprised me. They, they weren't I, – I didn't see them as much in college. You know, he, a lot of it kind of seemed scripted. He's shown an up, upside for me to say, hey, the next coach uh, should prioritize his development and build the game plan around him and, you know, be willing to work with him. That can be a restriction for a lot of coaches. And at the same time, the job isn't attractive, so you got to be realistic. I mean, if we're talking about who we want, you know, everyone's going to say Lincoln Riley or uh, – or, Chris Richard from Dallas, you know, everyone's going to say who they want, but looking at it realistically, I don't really see them attracting a lot of outside candidates. I would be willing to roll the dice with Kevin O'Connell. I know he hasn't shown basically anything, you know, um, I mean, you, you can't really say he, you can't really say you've seen anything from him. I mean, Jay Gruden diluted his influence and now Bill Callahan, you know, Kevin O'Connell basically said as politely as he could in a, 
in an athletic article uh, a week back, I think, that the offense isn't his. He's just doing what the head coach wants him to do. And so I would like, I would, I would be willing to see uh, him take that position. He's an interior candidate, so he's more familiar with the situation, probably more likely to stick around and try and make the most out of it um, if the team gives him that offer. Uh, he's also worked with Haskins, familiar with Haskins. And, you know, they've been working together. they got a good rapport. I think that's where I would go. I know it's not, you know, swinging for the fences necessarily, but there are a lot of good coaches in the league that haven't been unearthed simply because of the circumstances that they're in. I think looking at little quotes from O'Connell, you know, it's not a lot. It's not pure offensive production. But looking at little quotes and looking at his situation, uh, I would I would want to see him without that without that tinted glass pane, you know, kind of kind of uh, distorting his output. So that if if I had to go with an outside candidate, though, I'd probably stick with the offensive minded coaches and I'm try to get someone who could work with Haskins. I don't know if Benami would work with Haskins, but I'd be willing to look at him. He's been I think he's been taking an increased role in Kansas City, so that would be good. Um, Todd Monken is one of my one of my personal favorites over in Cleveland. I know their offensive output hasn't been great, but I think Freddie Kitchens has kind of been micromanaging that and him handling head coaching duties and play calling duties hasn't really boded well for that team's efficiency. So I'd like to get Monken out of there and maybe bring some of his ideologies over here. Um, and then, yeah, the college coaches mentioned Rule, I know, has done a great job with um, Baylor. So that'd be pretty cool. But I don't know. Th- there's a lot of names you can throw around and it's just it's all conjecture at this point, but um, let's let's say now that they have their head coach, and now it's the player phase of the offseason, You know, letting guys go, adding guys, free agency. Um, how are you? How bold are you going to be, Jacob? Are you going to just tear everything down, or do you think that there's enough of a core here where you can kind of stabilize and say we're going to stick with what we got and kind of supplement it? First, let me offer one caveat to the argument you made about coaches not wanting to come here. And it's, a, it's an argument that's very simple and I make all the time. There's only 32 head coaching jobs in the NFL. So I know that like if, this is probably one of the least attractive coaching jobs that will open up. But the fact of the matter is that there are only a limited amount. And all it takes is one dude to think he can change things for uh, them to get a good hire. But your point does not fall on deaf ears. It makes perfect sense as to why coaches would be apprehensive to come here if i'm running this team uh, i will probably try to blow it up on the offensive side of the ball uh really retool the weaponry there and uh the offensive line would have four of their normal seven game day starters would be free agents donald penn eric flowers tony bergstrom who should have been gone a long time ago i am still not a big tony bergstrom fan. bergstrom is yeah no he's he's yeah i used to be like oh he's a decent backup no he's he's gone yeah uh, we we always had that fun debate about bergstrom but i don't know why i wasted time on that debate man i'm <laughs> contemplating okay. my life now I wasted three years on Samaj P. Ryan, so don't <laughs> worry about it yeah i can't i can't top you there i can't top you there yeah, but but anyway, so that offensive line will need an overhaul. The big question will be for me, what are you going to do at guard? Because you have Eric Flowers and Brandon Sheriff ready to hit free agency. And coming into the season, you would say, yeah, Sheriff will resign him. It's a no-brainer. But he hasn't been great this year. He's struggled with penalties at times. And he hasn't always been fully healthy in the last couple of years. So I'm a little skeptical maybe of keeping him at the price tag he might demand. 
Meanwhile, Flowers has shown a ton of growth since signing and converting to guard, and he's actually two years younger than Sheriff, believe it or not. So if they can get Flowers on a cheaper deal, maybe what the Colts got for uh, Mark Lewinsky last year, around the five, I think it was around $5 million a year for three years, that might make more sense than shelling out like $12 million plus a year for Sheriff. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that or what you would do in the offense. Uh, I'm assuming you would probably want to blow up the whole team, right? Oh, yeah, I would, I would blow everything out. I, I would have traded Sheriff before the trade deadline if they, if they were receptive to that idea. They obviously weren't. And now it's like you, if you want to trade him, you have to extend them or whatever. So, Or you have to promise an extension to that team. The whole, it makes it so much more complicated other than, you know, had they traded him before the deadline so i would have traded him i would probably maybe just let him go and take the third round comp pick next year uh honestly uh, part of me would want to re-sign him because uh, he's i still think he's a great guard to have you know aside from his fluctuations this year but i think you know it's a relatively replaceable position i'm sure they could find someone suitable um i would focus more of my efforts on the tackle positions and other playmaking spots. I I think the Redskins do have enough cap space to make it happen. I just don't know, man. And like, you know, basically the culture of the team kind of complicates everything to me because I feel like the culture is permeated to every player. So I feel like if you bring in another, a new coach, if you fire Bruce Allen, you decide to start over, you're going to have to let go of a lot of players who were used to the way it was done before with Jay Gruden. And now they're not. They don't like how it's done now. Like I saw a report that some players were mad that the, that the team practiced on Wednesday this week or whatever. Just little things like that. I feel like you're going to have to really revamp a lot of things. And I would I would lean a little bit towards letting Sheriff go, but I'd also consider re-signing him. He's the only one though. I would well actually I would consider re-signing Donald Penn too, maybe do a one-year deal because he's been serviceable at left tackle, which has been surprising. I would definitely re-sign Eric Flowers. He's been a pleasant surprise this year. Um, really kind of grown into his role at guard and showed some promising flashes. Still not perfect, but he's young, like you said. Still very young, actually, for his experience level. Uh, so I, I think there's definitely upside there. Vernon Davis, gone. Case Keenum, Cole McCoy. Both good veterans, uh, but uh, I got I to gotta say no. I would try and get rid of Alex Smith's contract. I don't know if they have the out this, this offseason or whatever. Maybe... I don't know if it's possible. I don't know how flexible uh, the NFL is with this stuff. Maybe try and convert him to like a coaching role or whatever, if Smith is willing to do that, because I know he's trying to rebound from his injury. But, uh, yeah, I would get rid of all the veterans who are kind of who have those contracts. I would trade away big contracts like Ryan Kerrigan, Josh Norman, or probably Josh Norman probably wouldn't be very trade tradable at this point. So if you can't trade him, cut them. But uh, I would I would really just kind of, turn everything upside down i mean i feel like like i said before the culture kind of just permeates to every player and you know the guys who haven't really established themselves haven't really haven't really imbued themselves into that culture yet the younger guys like haskins and mclaurin you know you can still save their development but i feel like you got to turn a lot of stones upside down so i would i would just kind of blow everything up too yeah, and you mentioned the Alex Smith contract. Uh, they cannot really get out of his deal in 2020. They would take on $32 million in dead cap, which is borderline impossible. That's so a, Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, so if if they're going to do something, they'd have to trade him. I, I agree with most of what you said. I'd probably let 
most almost all the veterans that they have as free agents, save for those two offensive linemen, Penn and Flowers, walk. Um, John Bostic on defense, I would resign too. He's been he's been a nice addition, um, a very late signing who's really turned into a solid middle linebacker for the team. Uh, the one position I would absolutely completely gut is just cornerback because I'd cut Josh Norman. Uh, you can't really trade him because he's so bad and the contract's so bloated. You take on the three million in dead cap, get rid of him. Yeah. Cut Fabian Moreau. He's he's a lost cause at this point in my mind. I know he's young, but he's been dreadful this year. So, yeah. uh, in my opinion, I think he needs a he needs a change of scenery. Uh, so they'll be looking for two new starters: one outside corner across from Dunbar, one in the slot, um, is what I assume. That and that's really in. They may need some more on defense, but in terms of starting players, the secondary is where I'd focus on defense. And then the offensive line, like we said, is where it gets tricky because if you if you lose Penn and Flowers and Cher, then you're looking at Moses and Rulier as your only guys that are coming back as starters. Trent Williams is still technically on the team, but he's not playing for us at any point. Nope. Um, he needs to be traded. And honestly, I could see them cutting Moses because he's been, uh, you know, he's been kind of. he's he's had some comments recently that just don't seem like a guy who's checked in. He might need need a change of scenery. So maybe they trade him, and if they can't, they may have to restructure or cut him because he's making a lot of money for uh – not quite a match production for uh, his contract. Yeah, that was that was the thing that, you know, that, that video that was circulating and we all watched it. You know, you can talk about Dwayne Haskins and what he was doing there. You can spend a whole day talking about that. But the thing that also struck me was the, the offensive line. They looked like I, I know it's tough to judge it on like a 30-second clip. You're not because you don't see the whole picture. They might just be taking a breather. That's why they're not as animated as you'd like them to be. But they really just kind of look checked out, you know. And this is a rookie who is coming to you to ask you for help on how he can help you on the field, and no one really said anything. They, they seemed like they were kind of just complacent, you know. And again, I don't want to make, like, sweeping judgments about a 30-second clip, but if this is how things are, then you just might have to re- reset that entire unit. And I was talking to one of my friends earlier in the day, um, about you know the impact that losing Trent Williams as a leader might have had in that offensive line room, you know now that he's gone as that mediating voice, the guy who can kind of guide them and help with the other units on the team. Now you just might have to reset the entire thing because of that, and it's it's tough. You hate to see that happen because that's a vital part of the team, and it's tough to reset all that in one off season. But that might be what has to happen. It's just it's crazy when when you put yourself in this position sweeping sweeping changes kind of they're just natural they're just part of it at this point and it's tough to avoid it's tough to make happen because there's a lot of risks involved but that might be what it's come to yeah definitely and i can see williams leaving having a big impact on this group now let me give you a hypothetical offensive line for next year from right to left we're going to go right to left on this one because i think the left tackle candidate will surprise you or maybe not surprise you but spark discussion so Right tackle, you got Donald Penn. Then right guard, you got Wes Martin. Chase Rulier at center. Left guard is Eric Flowers. And then left tackle, you get Andrew Thomas in the draft. You trade down, you take Thomas. You get a boatload of picks. What's your level of confidence in that type of offensive line? Honestly, I would I would be pretty confident. I think the one thing that scares me is Penn at right tackle. He's, he's favored the left tackle position more in his career. 
I, I think I didn't Oakland move him to right tackle and he struggled there and then he came back here played left tackle some guys are just better on certain sides like Jerron Christian I know uh, when we had Robbie Duncan on the podcast back in preseason he was saying Christian is he just has tendencies that would bode well for him at right tackle and I think Penn has those at left tackle a lot more experience so I'm not sure how that move would play out but as far as the other four Andrew Thomas is a really, really solid prospect at left tackle. He's a guy who can kind of be a Trent Williams-esque steady presence for the team. I don't think he, he's not the athlete that Williams is, but he's very solid all around. Flowers, left guard, I would be very excited to see how he grows in another year with a full offseason now as the established starter. Um, Rouillet, you know, a steady constant. He's not spectacular, but he gets the job done. And then Wes Martin, he hasn't played much this season, but in the little flashes we've seen, he, he's looked competent. That's another reason that I'd be kind of hesitant to shell out big bucks for Sheriff is, I mean, what if you have a guy who can do the job that's asked of him behind Sheriff on a rookie deal? You know, that, that might be a more cost-effective way. So I would I would be okay with that line. Uh, Pennant, right tackle would kind of concern me, but you know, uh, it's it's not bad. And he's a veteran, so he's got the experience. Could be a stopgap for one year before you replace that position too and uh, go from there, I guess. Yeah, and you, in my ideal world, you'd have him play right tackle for one year, mentor Thomas, and draft another tackle to compete with Christian for that, you know, backup swing tackle role um, if Christian doesn't progress. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I know we're running short on time here. So uh, you want to talk, like, very quickly, like maybe – a couple free agent candidates we might target and uh, who, who we're looking at at the top of the draft. There's actually something else I would like to talk about, if that's okay. We were talking about Haskins earlier, and you know, franchises build their entire operations around quarterbacks. I want to know from you, would you consider pulling a Rosen this offseason, or would you? do you want more time to kind of evaluate in a different setting? So this is a tough question. This is like a really difficult one for me because – I was so anti-2019 NFL quarterback class and so pro-2020 quarterback class. And this class. is a good class. It's aged well, too. Yeah, and there were, like, coming into the season, like, before Joe Burrow blew up and everything, there were already, like, four or five potential first-round quarterbacks because you had Tua Tagovailoa, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, and Justin Herbert in no particular order. And then you added Joe Burrow to the mix. Now, I know Tua got hurt, but, like, this is a very strong quarterback class, closer to the Lamar Jackson quarterback class than it was to last year. So part of me wants to say, like, yeah, I would consider trading Haskins uh, for a pick and then going with a different quarterback. Uh, But for me, it depends on who the head coach is. If the coach that you bring in wants things they can work with Haskins – then don't bother like drafting another quarterback and offloading Haskins at pennies on the dollar because you can trade down from that high pick you're going to get. Maybe get an Andrew Thomas type at like the fourth or fifth overall pick if the Dolphins want to move up to get a guy to be their quarterback, recoup that second-round pick we lost in the sweat trade. I would be a little hesitant to do it, but at the same time, if the Redskins fall in love with a guy, say they fall in love with like Herbert or, or Joe Burrow or – Hey, maybe even Tua ends up being, he's going to end up being healthy close enough in the future. So they draft Tua, you know, keep Haskins around to develop him and have Tua in the wings. Sure, go for it. But 
it'll be interesting to see what move they do they make i think they keep him around though i think the front office is too invested in him yeah yeah you know here's the biggest reservation for me like i like this quarterback class i'm i'm a big fan of jacob eason if you guys followed my draft content last year i was willing to overlook like certain issues in guys games because of their upside drew lock i was a big fan of lock because of his combination of athleticism and arm talent now he hasn't played we don't we can't really reflect on that yet, but I'm I'm a guy who likes those physical traits, and you know I think some guys have it in more quantities than Dwayne Haskins does. That said, there are issues in the Redskins organization that are currently they're having detrimental effects on Haskins uh, from coaching to you know culture stuff like that. If you don't fix that, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is; it's not going to work. Uh, you might you might get flashes of success, you might get eight and eight nine and seven you might get close like Bruce Allen said but you're never going to get there you know if, if you don't if you don't fix the deeper flaws in the organization I think ultimately I think Dwayne Haskins has traits where he can succeed in the right situation uh, and just like a lot of quarterbacks in the league they need a beneficial situation uh, and you know even the good quarterbacks that's not a bad thing expecting Haskins to succeed in spite of his situations in DC isn't really fair when other guys do it with better situations. I would I would say that, yeah, like I said, you know, just no matter what quarterback you have in DC, there's other things that need to happen before they can sustain success. We can go from there. But um for now we are out of time, guys. Sorry about that. I wish we could go for longer, but peace out. Have a good night.